Good morning, Christ Central. Yes, um, I'm Tamika Ingram. I yes, <laughs> I'm one of the deaconesses and also co-leader of um, the Mint Hill Community Group. And I will be reading scripture from chap- Numbers, chapter nine, verses fifteen and through ten. This might be backwards, but and then. No, wait, excuse me. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, and then chapter 10, um, verses 10. I think I have that correct. We'll be starting at Numbers verse 15. So, on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle, tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At night, at night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long, as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in the camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command And they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. Now the Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver for calling the community to assemble for and for signaling the breaking of camp. When both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. But if only one trumpet is blown, then only the leaders the heads of the clans of Israel must present themselves to you. When you sound the signal to move on, the the tribes camped on the east side of the tabernacle must break camp and move forward. When you sound the signal a second time, the tribes camped on the south will follow. You must sound short blasts as the signal for moving on. But when you call the people to assembly, Blow the trumpets with a different signal. Only the priests, Aaron's descendants, are allowed to blow the trumpets. This is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation. When you arrive in your own own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. 
blow the trumpets in times of gladness too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month, and blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Glad that you could join us this morning on this Labor Day weekend. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. Uh, if you're new and joining us for the first time, please do stop by our visitor's table on the way out. As well as, um, we've been trying to really encourage our people to go to the Red Chairs. So one of the ways that you could get to know our leadership is actually going to the Red Chairs and to pray with our people. So we actually invite you to do that as well. This morning, we're going to venture into a book of the Bible perhaps you tend to skim over or perhaps not really read through, uh, but I believe there's um, lessons that we can learn in uh, the numbers as we look into what it means for us to live in the life of the mundane. The life of the mundane. There's a term called kinophobia. Kinophobia is a fear that you lived an ordinary life. A fear is defined by this New York Life bestseller, Dictionary of the Obscure Sorrows, saying a fear of living an ordinary everyday life. Kinophobia. In other words, It's a fear of living life of the mundane, going about your day doing the same things over and over and over again without much excitement or difference made in the world. Whether it is opening up that Excel spreadsheet for the thousandth time, running the same macro over and over again to make sure that there's no error, whether filling out that report or going through the PowerPoint presentations, or restocking the shelf again and again and again and again for the thousandth time with the same product. Or perhaps some of you changing that diaper with the blue stripe appearing just as you put on the new one not too long ago. It could be cleaning the room of your children or your spouse that doesn't seem to be cleaned day after day after day, flipping through the Netflix list over and over again until you come to play something for me feature, or staying up late at night scrolling through the Instagram feeds, hoping, filled with envy of others who seem to be living it up. We all live, in some sense, with kinophobia. We all have experienced it, been there, wondering, thinking, hoping for something else. Wondering, being filled with the tiredness of the mundaneness of it all, wondering if there's more to life than just daily tasks and duties at hand. Melissa Dong, a student writer for Tough Newspaper, a college student, once lamented, the United States loves weird, different people. It loves individuality and those who stand out. It seems that so many successful Americans have followed a non-traditional path. Everyone knows the first CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, was a college dropout who went, to, uh, who went back to take calligraphy classes. And as a result, many of us have been trained to fear the exact opposite, fitting in with everyone else. The irony is that as children, we grew up in this world trying desperately to fit in, but suddenly, this shifts to the idea that being normal is undesirable leaves some lost and confused 
normal has suddenly become the new loser. Normal has become the new loser, a reflection of a college student. And I think this has been um, accentuated more so during the pandemic. Do you all remember when the pandemic first began, we're thinking, how can we be stuck in the house for one week? It became one month, became month on end, years, wondering, this is going to drive us nuts. We also have seen the great resignation roll through, and people are wondering and asking this question, what do I really want to do with my life? What am I really called to do? And we see people leaving their jobs to find something else. And don't, please don't hear me say that's not a good thing. In many ways, it has freed many of us to pursue and find who we really are meant to be. Right? There's a lot of good things in that. that don't this message negate the fact that finding and starting a new opportunity is not great. That's not what I'm saying. Creativity is needed to grow and change and to challenge. Finding your passion is just as important as knowing who you were created to be. But we also know that with a new job comes the same struggle of work. Why? Because of sin. Because of fall. We know that seasons of parenting differs throughout children's age. Perhaps it challenges us in different ways, but challenges are consistent throughout. Right? There was an Instagram post that said, when, do you, when can you rest properly after having kids? They said, after your children grow up, they have grown children, and they go to college, then you can rest. And they say, it's time to die then. Right? <laughs> so you don't have time to rest in those things. Our relationships present its challenges throughout various seasons, whether you're single, married, empty nesters, all this stuff. Yes, there's excitement for the new city, new opportunity, new school, but school becomes just a school, and the new restaurant is just that. New today and old tomorrow, as Solomon once said, there's nothing, nothing new under the sun. Perhaps even more so in our journey as followers of Christ, we look for the mountaintop moments, the excitement of the retreats, the mission trips, the spiritual high moments. But what about Monday? when you're sitting in front of the computer again and again and again. There's a popular Hillsong's worship song that goes something like this. It says, I say on Sunday how much I want revival, but then on Monday, I can't even find my Bible. Where is the power, the power of the cross in my life? And I believe that's the testimony, perhaps not this Monday because it's Labor Day, but Tuesday that we're going to sing, where is my Bible, where is power in this mundane life that we and I are called to live in because quite honestly, our lives are more filled with moments of mundaneness rather than excitement. Well, we find the Israelites in a similar situation, don't we, in Numbers chapter 9? Israelites are on the hills of one of their spectacular failures. Ever heard of the golden calf moment? Where they made an idol in the shape of the golden calf as they waited for Moses. And instead of waiting, they're like, oh, he's not going to come down. Let's do something else. And they burn whatever that they have and make this golden calf. But God graciously forgives them and invites them to a Passover meal in dedication Reconsecration, redemption, meaning setting themselves apart to say, we will follow God again. But what's next after that? A battle? 
starting of a new country, finally in the land flowing with milk and honey, new and exciting venture into the land again? Is God leading them into that? No. What we find is Numbers chapter 9 and 10. And what God invites them is just yet another long journey, 38 years in the wilderness, in the desert of the daily life of mundane. And perhaps, just perhaps, it is better described as a discipline of life of mundane or discipleship of life of the mundane, practice of the life of the mundane. But God does not just leave them and us consequently without his guidance. The life of mundane church results in God's purpose and plan for the Israelites. And I believe that's the plan and the instruction God has for us today in the life that you and I are called to live in, in the life of the mundane. And we see two things that God does in this life of the mundane. First, God leads us into the mundane. God leads us into the mundane. Autophobia, according to medical news today, is a fear of being left behind, being abandoned, left alone. By the way, I need to mention that phobia are real, right? By using them and naming them, I do not mean to, I do not mean to downplay them by all means. We all believe in its need of counseling in our church. We send many people into counseling. I'm in counseling. We all need it, right? Phobia is real, but I'm just using them to describe different fears that are out there. And autophobia is definitely a fear we face in the season of the post-pandemic. Feeling of being left behind, abandoned, and left alone. Without guidance. It's a real fear that we struggle with. And perhaps, just perhaps, Israelites have this collective fear of autophobia. After all, they were forgiven of their sins, but it does back to make them wonder, will God still be with them? Because, you know, we made the golden calf. Will God still go with them? Yes, I'm forgiven, but will God still go with them? And in this season of uncertainty, in the path towards the desert of the unseen, you just imagine that, right? You're coming down from the, the mountaintops. The Moses comes down and says, and you, made, you had a spectacular failure. God forgives them. And now what? God's like, go into the desert. And the fear is, will God go with us into this unknown? Into the unknown. No pun intended, right? No, not, not pun. No play on the Disney song intended. Into the unknown. Will God go with them? In the path of the desert, this is what God reminds them in verse 15. On the day of the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was a regular pattern. Did you catch that, church? It was a regular occurrence, right? It's not a one-time occurrence. Regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had an appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from the over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break the camp and follow it. And whenever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. Not only did this clouds and fire provide warmth and protection from the heat, but the most important reminder for the Israelites was that in their day-to-day travel, God was with them. God was leading them. The tabernacle was set up as a tangible presence of God, that the cloud was a supernatural manifestation of God's presence, that he and only he would dwell with God's people, and that he was near to them, 
But not only so, but he will guide them. As when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they were to set out. And the cloud became a symbol and a daily reminder, church, of his presence for his people. And remember who these Israelites were. I mean, these people are the people who said in Exodus 32, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come before him. Not only does God renew the promise, but giving them the tabernacle, visible representation, really speaking to the heart. These people want God's presence, someone to go before them, and here God says, hey, I'm here. And as if that is not enough, he continues to provide this cloud and fire to walk with them through this journey into the desert. And notice, even in these consequences of their failure to believe, not only in this golden calf moment, but as soon as number 11 rolls around, number 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, you know what the Israelites do? In the light of this great pillar of cloud and the fire, they complain. They complain. But this is the gospel truth, you know? God's presence never leaves them nor abandons them. Church, I think I need, we need an amen moment there. Amen. God's presence never leaves them or abandons them. God does not leave nor forsakes them. And here is the gospel grace for you and I as well. Even in our failures, to see God clearly at times. In our mundaneness of life, even when you and I feel like we aren't making any impact or difference in this world that you and I are called to live in, living a life of our family, daily walk with God testifies to this glorious gospel, the gospel that Jesus, that God can't even tolerate, let alone love and is at work in your mundane life. Your life in Christ alone the fact that you're living this life today is this amazing testimony of God's grace that He is keeping you alive to testify to the grace of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And perhaps, just perhaps you think, man, wouldn't that be great, Pastor, if we could also have that visible manifestation today? Man, it would be surely be easy if the cloud of fire leads me to my workplace, right? The cloud, especially on this hot, humid Charlotte summer day, right? covering me. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right here. Do you all see this happening? God is with me. We perhaps, man, it would be so much easier to believe if I have a pillar of fire next to me today, right? I'm sure it will get a lot of people's attention. Then I know for sure that God is leading me here. Church, do you actually know that God promises that? The exact representation of fire and clouds to us today? Perhaps not the visible one, But in the New Testament, the imagery of cloud in particular carries on the meaning of this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, after Jesus uh, ascends and reminds them the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And this is what it says. Acts chapter 1, 9. And after saying this, he was taken up into the clouds where they were watching, and they could no longer see him. The cloud language there is done on purpose. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people at the day of the Pentecost, what does it say in Acts 2? It is manifested as this. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. 
clouds as Christ ascends. Fire. God with us. God's presence, guidance, as the disciples are now called to be the witness of the resurrection. And this is the same Christ who reminds us that he will never forsake us or leave us. He sends the Holy Spirit who is in the hearts of a believer is a working agent in bringing about the completion of the work that he began in us. And this is the same Christ that commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. So there is a church. If you today have placed your faith in Christ, you have your own pillar of clouds and fire and the Spirit of God that dwells among God's people. Amen? Do you have that? Do you believe that, church, that you are a witness, a testimony of the cloud of fire of God's presence in your life? We are not left alone in our lives, Scripture reminds us, that God never left us without his witnesses, mainly the Word of God and the witness, the perseverance the perseverance of the church despite its repeated efforts of the enemy to silence them from starting at the empty tomb. Furthermore, what Scripture reminds us is that those who follow Christ, the Spirit of Pentecost, the dwelling Holy Spirit, is in every one of us as we gather together as a church of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul reminds us, don't you realize... Apostle Paul is pleading to the church, don't you realize, church, that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? Do you not hear the heart of Apostle Paul calling the church, saying your dwelling, the tabernacling of God, is God's invisible manifestation to this world that God does not leave his people behind. He keeps his promise that he will never leave us. And for Israelites, were led with this promise. What they're called to do was daily trust in the Lord. Daily obey the leading of the Lord. Daily dependence on Him. Building the character, becoming God's people was the call that God placed upon the Israelites for the next 38 years. I believe it is the same with us today as well. And we have that cloud of witness testifying that to us, the word of God, the testimonies of God's faithful. And what you and I are called to, to, to do today is exactly the same, to be faithful people of God each day, to walk, to trust, to rest, daily learning what it means to obey and to follow, one day at a time. It may be mundane, but it's so vital because in those moments, mundane moments of faithfulness, you are being transformed. God is working in you. You know why? Because God said he will. Word of God is living and active, Scripture tells us, so you become more and more and more and more like him as you learn what it means to walk with him. And we call that spiritual formation. In the words of Dallas Wheeler, a well-known spiritual formation writer, says, spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. You become more and more and more like him as you learn to walk and walk and walk with him. In our church, we often say during Lord's Supper, it's prayer time, don't underestimate this powerful 30 seconds of prayer. It's not because you're praying. It's not because you're present here. Those prayers of, help me, Lord, to be faithful. Help me, Lord, 
It means something. You know why? Not because you did it, but because of whom you pray that prayer to and who hears those prayers. Don't ever underestimate the call God gives us today because the one who calls you into the mundane is the one who's going to be with you through the mundane. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Second thing we see is not only does God lead us into that, but God calls us in the midst of the mundane. God not only calls us into the mundane, but God calls us in the midst of the mundane. Um, according to verywellhealth.com, the, there is a fear of future, of the unknown. Not knowing what's to come ahead is called chronophobia. Chronophobia. The fear of the future of the unknown. And for Israelites, they're now headed into the wilderness, into the unknown again. Um, in the midst of it all, there is a fear of the unknown, what is to happen for the next 38 years. But again, what we see is in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the fear of the unknown, God does not leave them without his call. God meets with them with the voice in their midst of the mundane. Chapter 10 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammer silver for calling the community to assemble and for signaling the breaking of the camp. And throughout, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but throughout the next uh, verses, we see very detailed instructions of how to blow the horn, when to blow the horn, what happens when I blow the horn, right? Like if I blow it this way, you disassemble and you come. Wait, if I blow it this way, you disassemble and you come. If I blow it this way, we go out to fight. If I blow it this way, we do an offering, right? It's almost like order of worship. There are three ways that it's describing how this horn works, and three ways are simply, number one, for gathering of God's people to himself. Second way the horn is used is for calling people into the battle. And the final way the horn is used is calling people to offering, to worship. So calling people to himself, calling people into the battle, calling people to the offering of worship. You know, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're checking out a church, oftentimes you look for a mission statement, right? And there's always this thing about, like, what is the mission statement of the church? What is the vision of the church? And I kid you not, like, almost 100% of the time, you'll find this mission statement. We're inwardly focused, upwardly focused, outwardly focused. Something about that, right? Where do they get that? Where do they get that? From the scripture, right? Horn says, God's calling him to himself, going to the battle, and to worship. Sounds like a mission statement of the church. All in all, the trumpets were used to signal to Israelites that God is calling them. But as you see, it is much more than that. It is a reminder that God goes before them and God is in the midst of them, ahead of, ahead of them in their call, into the next steps that they'll take, into the battle against the enemies that are far more seasoned than they are. And amazingly enough, even in the burnt offering that represented the forgiveness of the sin and the peace offering that represented the communion with God, it is God who initiates. This is the gospel of grace, right? God who calls us who goes before us, God who calls us into reconciliation, is God himself. And you know what's amazing? We see this same image played out in the New Testament. As theologian Legan Duncan noted in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, in John, the apostle, describing how the vision 
the word of God came to him. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Right? Who is this? Who is this trumpet blast? God is calling the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, quote, It was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was summoning John to come in counsel with God, and God was going to reveal his word to John, which John was going to reveal to his people. The one we have, the word of God in Revelation, and if we believe it is God who speaks to us in Scripture, as 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us, the Scripture, the word of God, today as you hear the word of God preached, it's the trumpet sound of God to his people. It's not merely, okay, well, let's check out this sermon on Sunday morning. Let's listen because that's what we're taught to do. But do you absolutely realize the reason why we sit here and listen to the Word of God preached out to God's people is because it is God's call for the church, God's direction for the church. It's not a mere suggestion for you to live by today, but it's command of the Lord to be obeyed, to be followed, and to be transformed by it. Do you believe that, church? I believe our church the church sent up upon the word of God. Amen? Amen? Do you all believe that? And this is the gospel, the good news, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he will go before us, he will be in the midst of us. He's at the forefront, he knows our path, nothing is outside of his purview, his absolute control, and we use the theological term God's sovereignty, God's predestined will, God's providence to describe all this, but it basically means God is in the midst of where you are called to go to. So what we are reminded today in this mundane daily life that you and I are called to live in, we are to tackle today, tomorrow, with a renewed call from the Lord, knowing that He is ever with us. He leads us with His call, even through the valleys of the shadow of death, even against the enemies that seem greater than we may ever be able to overcome in the situations, the battles that we are doomed to lose, even in our greatest sins and failures, even in the most mundane moments of our life, the dullness, the fear of the unknown, fear of being left behind, fear of fear upon fear, even the question of does he care about us? This is God's reminder again and again that he goes before us. He's already there. Do you not think that he knows you? Do you not believe the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? Do you not think the one who loves you does not understand or do not understand what you're going through today? Do you really think there's something that could be so great that God cannot overcome? The one who says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Do you not believe he is the God of the universe, church? Do you not believe that he can overcome? Do you not believe in Christ you are victorious? You are more than conquerors, church. Do you not believe that? And do you hold on to these promises and declare with the Lord that we are more than conquerors, that we have overcome, that one day we will see his face to face? Those are Christians who testify to the Lord. Church, I believe our witness in the world is so weak. Not because our God is weak, but because our faith, our faith is so weak. And this is the amazing grace of God, isn't it? Even your weak faith, even a faith small as a mustard seed, 
God will use that. Isn't that amazing? That he will shame the wise with the foolish. That he will use the most weakest nation to shame the powerful Egypt and conquer Canaan. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you are called into your workplace today. You are called to your house today. You are called to your church today. And that does not mean that it will change overnight. But in the mundaneness of it all, our call is to wait and listen to God's call. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say go and change and throw everything away and be a revolutionary. That's not what he says. He says go, be faithful, and I will show up. The glory to the Lord, right? And you know what? This trumpet call is coming again, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers, sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, for we also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. But the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their grave. Then together with them, we who are still alive, remain on earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Church, let me encourage you with those words. What you and I are called to do today, even in our mundaneness of it all, even at the times of daily grind, is learning to trust in the Lord, to be transformed by Him, and to learn to walk with Him so that you get to picture what heaven is going to be. To be with Him. To be with Him face to face. Now without pain, suffering, heartaches, and tears. And this promise is that He will get us there. And today, church, today you are called to walk in those steps. Every, those, every one of those steps means something because God is leading you towards him. Christ followers, you are not stationary. God is ever working in your life to take one step after the another in anticipation with the hope of coming Messiah. Amen? And as we learn to step one step at a time in our mundane call to be led by the Lord, to be called by the Lord, we can do this for the eternity. And if we have our ecclesiology correct, as a big fancy world for our understanding of what it means to be a church, then we know that this gathering on Sunday like this, it matters, right? Not because of its fancy ensemble of the resources we pour into, but it's special because it is you all. God's people, called out ones, who are embodiment of God's presence, gathering together that makes it special. You know, we often evaluate God's presence by wow experience, right? Wow, do you see that praise team? Wow, do you see that children's ministry? Wow, do you see that preaching? Wow, do you, do you, do you see that mission trip? Wow, we, we want those wow experiences. Did you see, hear, felt this and that? But if that's the church, 
then come me out of it. Because we know those experiences fade all the time, right? Especially in the Monday, Monday morning when the alarm goes off. There's no wow moments there. It's like, wow, I have to go to work. It's the moment that you get. But the real presence of God is when God's people doing life together, worshiping God together, crying together, carrying burdens together, laughing together, being transformed together. And if that's, that's the sign of the, what church is out to be, then sign me up. Because that means I'm an ambassador, a witness to go out to the world, re-engage the world because I have renewed dignity that is made possible because God's community. I love our church at Red Chairs. That is the embodiment of what it means to be a church. So that when the Monday morning alarm goes off, whatever chore, whatever mountain that you're facing, you know that you are going in with the community of God's people who experience the real present guiding power of the gospel walking with you every single day. That's the hope, church. Church, I believe we're headed for the season of testing of our faithfulness. With the departure of our founding pastor and his family, it is a challenging season, I know that. And many of us are grieving still, and we should. We ought to. But as we grieve, we also see this season as a season of growth. Perhaps not in the way that you anticipated. I surely did not anticipate this either, right? But as we head into this season, our faith will be tested. Our call and our sense of being led by the Lord and the questions, does God care about Christ-centered church, will be whispered by the enemy. But make no mistake about this, the head of this church and the church's universal is not a mere individual, but Christ himself. So we will persevere. In the mundane days that may come ahead, in the searching for our next pastor, in the mundane days of our work, in the mundane days of our family, we will persevere as we will be on the lookout for the pillars of the clouds and the cloud of fire and hear intently for the trumpet calls of our Savior, the head of church, Christ Jesus above all. I believe that you and I will grow. Why? Because we'll be one step closer to our Lord. One of the things that um, strike fear in our family is thunder and lightning. Uh, Whenever there is a huge storm that goes through our part of town, it strikes fear in the heart of my seven-year-old son. But you know what? Secretly, I love it, right? Especially when it thunders at night. I absolutely love it. Sometimes I wait for it, right? Why? Because when it goes off, and my wife and I fight for it, right? We wait in anticipation because I know he's going to wake up, right? And I know he's going to come to our room. And when, with the slight tears in his eyes, he will ask, will you sleep with me? I'm afraid. And you know what Lynn and I do? We duke it out, right, to see who he wants. Who do you want, son? Do you want mommy or do you want daddy? Right? Daddy will stay with you forever. Mommy might leave after an hour. Do you, do you want daddy? Don't you want daddy? Because I want to be the one. Right? Not my wife. I want to be the one who says, fear not, my son. I'm here. Fear not, my son. I delight. I delight to be with you. I am your daddy. Daddy is here. Not because I delight in his fear, but I delight in our relationship. That daddy is not only present, but he will call and lead him back into his bed together as he lies in confidence 
to sleep under the watchful eyes of his loving Father. Hear the gospel, church. Our Heavenly Father does the same, who declares, Fear not, Daddy is here. It is Christ who tells his followers after he rose again from the dead, consistently he tells them to women, Fear not in Matthew 28, 5, and to the rest of the disciples, Fear not. Your Savior, your King is not dead. He got up. He's here against many fears we face in our day, in our mundane daily calls. Fear not, church, for your God is ever-present with us. The blow of the trumpet over your burnt offering and peace offering, the trumpet will remind you are God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord, your God. Let's pray. Church, will you pray with me in this precious 30 seconds, a minute of your life as you anticipate another week? Yes, we have a Monday off, but another week of seeing people going to their work, firing up their computer, serving, going to their school, taking that test, changing the diaper, cleaning up for the thousandth time. Don't underestimate these moments of prayer. Saying, God, remind me in those moments that you will never leave me or forsake me. Can we pray that? Let me give you about 30 seconds of silence to pray those prayers to the Lord. Simply, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I am fearful. I will not fear because you are here. Let's pray that. Father, that's our prayer as we walk in this life you have called us to be. Lord, there are so many fears, especially of the unknown, of the uncertainty, at times being out of control, not knowing how we can overcome. But we pray that in those seasons we learn what it means to walk with you, the one who not only calls us into the mundane, but who is in the midst of the mundane, who will lead us. Father, may we rest in that in this season. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.